0: Season. Football has always been a game about power. Man versus man, body versus body, mind versus mind. Chess at a dead sprint. Those who play it or coach it know the feeling they get with a big hit or a touchdown or the seconds right before a championship win. You can see that need for power by looking into a coach's or a player's eyes as they call in the next play. There is a fire to be in control, but not all power is good. Join us for this first series of Seasoned as two young coaches go headstrong into the smoke looking for the fire where others see no light. I
1: had this dream last night again. It's really vivid. on on the school grounds and I'm out in the playground with some kids and I see down the street coming this car it's like a bigger car kind of tinted windows and I know there's something wrong with the car it's driving fast towards the playground it's like an intense scene. I tell like the kids like I'm, everybody just like for themselves and they kind of take off running. These guys pop out. There's no real place for me to run and I try to run and I try to dodge and I try to like just get out of the way and I can't, I'm too slow. And I feel these shots go through me, and they burn. They burn inside my chest, and I can feel, and I know that this is the time. This was my time, like this. And I'm so sad because this wasn't supposed to be my time. It wasn't supposed to end this way, but I knew it was going to end this way. Day one. When Jay arrives at school the next morning, the engineer is out mowing the school yard. Cool morning, fall breeze wafts the smell of something unique only to this time of the year. Yes, grass grows in this climate in the spring, and it is cut all the way through the summer, but each season has its own unique smell and its own unique textures. Spring grass is super green and bursting with moisture. When cut during that time of the year, the spring grass aroma is a mixture of wet grass and gasoline oils, lawnmowers freshly lubricated getting worked extra hard with the dense new grasses of the year. Spring grasses compete with budding trees, flowers popping from the ground, barbecues, rainstorms. Summer grass becomes bitter, brittle and dry, and the aroma is unrecognized because people are focused on the heat in the air, the sweat on their face, and the taste of salt in the sides of their mouth. Fall grass means something different. As temps cool down, the grass grows strong again. This cut, this fall cut is aroma and has no competition. Fresh haircuts and fresh landscaping as the students arrive back to school. The smell indicates the fresh start of fall. For Jay, it is a reminder of a new football season. For football players get a stronger dose of this earthly element of the game. They get this dose after... Stretching in the dew-stoke grasses of early morning practices during 2 days digging their cleats in and running wind sprints up and down the field, inhaling great gas of freshly cut oxygen-creating plants, getting their heads slammed face-first in the sod after taking a huge hit from an opponent. The face mask connecting them with huge chunks of grass inches from their noses and mouths as the player attempts to pry off what best they can before going back to the huddle. The smell of fresh grass inspires those who, are, those who are successful in the game and creates anxiety in those who are not. Here comes Troublemaker, secretary says as Jay walks through the door of the school's main office. Her dreadlocks cover the corner of her smile. How can you call him Troublemaker? He's John Boy. He looks like John Boy, asked the, asked the other secretary, holding back a little smile. Who's John Boy? Jay asks, knowing the answer may not necessarily be complimentary to coming from these ladies. He also knows the fact that they talk to him and often tease him is a compliment on himself. The secretaries are usually hailed in more comparison to disgruntled postal workers than the front desk hospitality agents. John Boy? From the Waltons? You don't know about the Waltons, John Boy? The secretary continues acting out a scene from the Waltons, playing both parts of Mama and John Boy. What, Mama? How'd that door get locked? Well, it just did, I reckon secretary one laughs at the imitation both of them want to team up on jay flatters him no no he's troublemaker because that dennis the menace hair he's sticking up out of the back of his head jay smiles as he walks by licking the hand his hand from palm to fingertips and pretends to push down the colic as only his mom could do the colic has been there as long as he can remember and for all he believes it will be there till his hair is all gone it's always been a part of him no matter how many moms, aunts, and grandmas have tried to stick it down with saliva before entering a church or restaurant. Does it represent trouble to him? Might as well, he thinks, as he walks down the hall by the principal's office. As Jay rounds the corner through the doorway into the principal's office, he sees her pulling up the school cameras on her desktop computer. In her late 50s, she looks over black rectangular glasses, being careful with her mouse clicks as if she misses her exact point it will send off a nuclear bomb. Mr. Smith, with his arm in the armrest and hand on his face, covering his mouth, sits, at the ro- sits across the room at a rounded table. On the other side of the table, an obviously perturbed student holds back an ice pack to his right eye. Sw- scratch marks on his left cheek expose parts of a lighter dermis and thin red lines of blood on the edge coming out. Jay makes contact with Mr. Smith, who makes a brief view at the student and rolls his eyes. Jay was coming down to get a signature for a class field trip. Not for the situation he just found himself in. Shit, he was thinking in his head. First day, Daring, really? Oh, Mr. Klein, wait till you see this. The principal announces if she is going to reveal a surprise. Jay takes a look at the clock. He has ten minutes until his class is out of music. He still has to use the bathroom, get a signature, fax the form to the rec center, and make copies of vocabulary sheet. All he thinks could be done in three minutes if the copy machine is not screwed up. Problem is, the situation he has walked in on typically lasts 15 to 20 minutes. Darian is not in Mr. Klein's class, but he's directly connected to Jay because Darian has made a point since beginning of school to tell every teacher in the building he's the best tackle football player in the school and that he did not play flag because he knew he was too tough for that. And Now that there's a tackle football team and this is the start of his pro career, that they will be kissing his ass once he gets that first contract. Dude, Jai sighs. Let me guess, Davion? He try, He asked, trying to find out who put the beating on Darren. Nope, Smith answers. Jay thought a fight with Darren's best friend would be an obvious choice. In this school, friends get on each other's nerves all the time, push things too far, are the first to fight back, and after some key delivered punches, are the first to quit in a fight enemies rarely quit. Sitting in the principal's office after finding your best friend is still better than sitting in a 7th grade English class when you read at a grade level equivalent of a 3rd grader. With the look of irritation about how big the list of suspects could be and the little amount of seconds he had left, Jay steps forward to the principal's computer as the video from the hallway started to present the incident. Star- Sorry, I went too far forward. I thought the fight was at 10.15. It was at 10:10, 10, 10, the principal said out loud, but she was really talking to herself as she rewound the footage, still not used to the technology. As the bodies on the screen moved backwards, a pile of people joined in, but the pile opens back up again to reveal the original two who caused the ruckus that ended up on the floor. What? Jay said with a surprise and awkward smile as he leaned in to view the screen. You fought a girl? Ass whooped by a girl, Mr. Smith followed up, clearly emphasizing the world whooped as he looked at Darian. Jay's eyes follow the movements across the screen as two people, Darien and Uniqua, through punches, grab clothing, and flail rims across a hallway until the tanglement of, of legs brings them both down, crashing to the towel floor, both trying to twist and gain leverage on the other so as to land onto the opponent and not onto the concrete floor, awaiting the force of the two bodies. Fuck that bitch. That ain't no girl. That bitch is huge. Darren retorts, moving his ice pack across his cross the scratches on his face. Darren already knows he's going to be suspended for fighting. Adding swearing to the su- suspension form will add no extra days. Like adding a shoplifting charge to a grand theft auto indictment. She looks like a man too. Darren tries to continue to add to his side of the self-defense play he had been working on before Jay arrived. She jumped me. I'm trying to find no girl. I'm just trying to defend myself. In his head, Jay. St- sort of felt what Darian was saying in regards to battling a large person. Unique was a big girl, no doubt. An eighth grade girl at 5'10", 185 pounds of bulk muscle. Acne was setting into Uniqua's facial structure and she was overall a middle school girl, not happy with her looks, her size, her family, a living situation with her new stepdad, not to mention this Darian fucker in her class who does not shut the fuck up. And she was the last person Jay himself would ever want to tangle with in the school boy or girl. Jay was smart enough not to. Daring was not. So let me repeat what Uniqua and others quoted said you said before she jumped you. Mr. Smith pulls out his notebook and starts to recite the dialogue written and at the same time reviews what he wrote on the 84 suspension form on the table in front of him. While classroom teacher trying to unlock door coming back from art, Uniqua Darian, leave me alone. Darian, you ain't my mama, I'll do the fuck I want to. Uniqua, don't talk to me that way. Darian, shut up, bitch, before I slap the monkey off your face. Teacher, enough back there. Then Uniqua appears to cross her arms on the camera and squint at you, and you say, Darian, better stop mean-mugging me or I'll knock your ass out right now. I ain't afraid to hit no girl. Mr. Smith speeds up his words to finish the report. Of which then Uniqua then gets a 10-foot run with her right fist in the air. You start to run away, then bumped into Donovan with no way to get locked up and taken down and continue to throw punches, pull hair, and try to go back at Uniqua, even after the middle school teachers have broken up the fight and taken Uniqua to the health office crying. I told you, that ain't no girl. That bitch is a man. Darren wants to continue to justify his defense, stating more about Uniqua's big stature and masculine looks, but Jay interrupts, I'm going to make this easy. No warning, this this is too far. I don't have the time to deal with this all season. Don't come to practice today. Jay wants to add to the part about being weak, too weak for his team, but decides against it as Darian. Now not being on the football team, will have to expend his energy somewhere else. Jay does not need that focus to be on him. Can you sign this? Jay asked the principal, handing her a pink form. Free field trip. The principal signs without looking, continues to focus on the computer screen and chicken pecking, typing at the keyboard. Jay continues back out through the main office the way he came and sees his class lined up in the hallway. Jay starts to calculate the time before he'll get another chance to use the bathroom, or at least piss quick. Can he hold it or bail into the bathroom and get whatever he can before the class gets rowdy during the unstructured transition time? After seeing what can happen in just 20 seconds in an open hallway, not wanting to be back in the office in 10 minutes, Jay chooses to wait. Time and place. When Jay first moved into the city, it was about the end of the summer, early fall time of the year. He was living in the first apartment he found available in the only neighborhood he sort of knew, close to a university campus. At night, he was surrounded by new sounds of sirens, drunk college kids staggering home, and people speeding around the neighborhood looking for last-second parking spot- spots, which rarely existed. By morning, Jay needed coffee and sustenance for the day, so he would walk a couple of blocks down to the local gas station and mini-shopping center to purchase, purchase some caffeine and sugared baked goods for the morning. One morning on his way down to Walgreens, he heard whistles blowing in an order that Jay immediately connected to running in place and doing push-ups on the whistle prompt. He brushed off the thought of these whistles as he entered the drugstore. After picking up his needs from Walgreens, some shaving cream, beef jerky, and a pack of ranch sunflower seeds, His interest drove him to follow the whistles and echoes and voices bouncing off buildings to around the corner of a high school building. There in the back of the building was the East team warming up for practices. Coaches walking around players who were lined up in perfect arrays on the 10-yard line increments with one coach in the middle calling out stretch commands. Jay took a seat on a small set of aluminum bleachers. No one seemed to notice him. And if they did, they did not care he was there watching them. Jay thought back that was just a season ago that he was playing for a small college football team as a receiver, and now that was over, here he was on the sidelines for the first time in 12 years. He did not miss the morning practices, stretching out on the cold, dewy grass, the wetness seeping slowly next to your skin, and starting practice out with a wet ass. As the practice progressed, Jay sat back and put small handfuls of sunflower seeds in his mouth. For 45 minutes, nothing about him really moved except occasionally occasionally his head slightly to the side to spit out discarded sunflower seeds and return back to viewing position. Viewing from the side of a full practice was comforting to him. For the last 12 seasons of his life, he had known nothing other than being an active part of the practice, following routines, working to the body until just before collapse, always preparing the mind for the next battle on Friday nights or Saturday afternoons, constantly visualizing the next opponent thinking like a gladiator. Now, Jay did not feel the pressure of the next game. He did not have the next opponent to have the anxiety over. It was like having nothing to do on a vacation day during the work week. Sitting back, watching everyone else rushing around like ants with objectives on their mind while you sit back with time to spare. This feeling would only last him another five minutes. After water break, whistles blew and players broke into small groups at clearly assigned areas on the field. One group said, settled in front of Jay's spot in the bleachers, knowing by the size of their bodies in relation to the other players scattered around the field, these skinny and tall, or some just skinny, that this was the receiver's group. As the coach started to preach his instruction, Jay's back started to ache from the position he had been sitting in, so he sat closer while stretching out a little. Meanwhile, Jay reached into his Walgreens bag, pulled out the beef jerky, opened it up, and put a large piece into his mouth to satisfy morning hunger. To his constant disappointment, he listened as the short, fat coach with red-blade sunglasses delivered spurts of instruction to the group as he demonstrated. To Jay, the instructions were nonsense directives that were not applicable to how the position was played. It was like watching a firefighter who knows nothing about dance trying to teach a group of young women ballet lessons. Between the minimal morning breakfast combined with the stretches of watching the coach happening in front of him, Jay could feel the morning coffee acidity start to eat away at his stomach. The blasphemy of the position he loved in plain view and no power to control it. Minutes wasted. Repetitions wasted. Completely false teachings being implemented. Thinking in his head, starting to get to the point of anger at the disgrace and disrespect this coach had for the position. Does he not know what the fuck he's doing? More whistles blew, and the groups made their way back together and formed two large groups. Offensive versus defense time. A couple of huddles, couple of plays. Then the team came together in one main group in the middle of the field. Players took a knee. Coaches stood around the outside. From his position, Jay couldn't hear what the coach in the middle was saying, but he figured he was the head coach when everyone shut up when he started talking and how he roamed around to the different groups during practice. After a minute or so, the team rose and came together in a tight group, and then a breakdown, a time when a lead person calls out a term, such as, countdown, team on three, one, two, three. The group or team yells out the initial term. Other terms are defense, offense, touchdown, score, dominate. Whatever might pop into the leader's head before he calls for a breakdown. Usually it's an objective thought. Before heading into the school building for a lunch break. Jay took a deep breath, thought about his next move. Grabbed his Walgreens bag and followed the group in. Still, no one seemed to notice him or stop him as he made his way into the building. Adults entered one room and players continued down the hall to the locker room. Jay stepped into the adult room, which was an office area with some whiteboards, but still smelled like a locker room. X's and O's with plays were scattered on the tables and replicated on the whiteboards. Men in their 30s and 40s plopped down on chairs, happy to be off their feet and out of the sun. A couple opened up mini igloo coolers and pulled out sandwiches, granola bars, and Gatorades. Jay stood just inside the door and no one seemed to feel it was their job to introduce himself or ask why he was there. Moments later, the head coach walked through the entrance. He looked at Jay, the first human to acknowledge his presence in the last two hours. Can I help you? He asked. "Uh, not sure. Maybe. My name is Jay. Jay Klein. He reached out his hand and shook the coach's hand. I played college ball last year and was watching practice. Really good athletes out there. A lot of speed. The coach opened up, slight bragging smile. Yeah, we got a couple studs out there. You looking for a coaching job? Jay was surprised at the quick offer, flattered but thinking, "What the fuck did this guy? What the fuck does this guy know about him?" Well, uh, I was watching the receivers group, and I w- I was a receiver in college last year, and yeah, the receiver coach doesn't know shit. He's a wrestling coach and doesn't know shit about the position, not about football either, to be honest head coach looked over watching the wrestling coach drink down a container, a cup of noodles with the stream of it going down his chin. We don't get many applicants for position coaches, so we have to take what we can get. He works in the building, so. I don't have any paid positions open, so I can't pay you, but that's fine. I don't need to be paid. Just don't let that guy coach receivers anymore and I'm good. The two shook hands, and the head coach introduced himself to the assistant coaches, working around the whiteboard. The wrestling coach was sent to the defensive line and Jay took over the receivers the next day. Leagues. Within two seasons, he was running the junior varsity and in charge of recruiting. Recruiting for football was illegal in the state. But the only places it could really happen was around the city. City teams had been horrible for the last 20 years, so no one really cared, and no one really gave the rule any attention. On the other side of the city limits, suburb teams with political power and good football teams often walked the line, and every couple of seasons picked up an all-American city recruit that would fit into their system. But not so many that recruiting red flags would be raised farm towns did not have this advantage to recruit athletes from other towns the distances were too great and the red flags were four times brighter the farm towns had their own, own bigger worries such as a busted drinking party could take down the whole football season in the city where drugs and alcohol addictions domestic violence and gangs ate the city from the inside cops didn't care about breaking up a high school drinking party because they often didn't exist they didn't exist because it was not schools that had the parties it was neighborhoods that had the parties the city was given free rein to drink, smoke, and do whatever you wanted to do because no one connected the pot smoker with an athlete at the high school. To get that sort of athletic violation, the athlete would have to get caught smoking or literally selling weed on the school grounds. In this city of school choice, students could live anywhere and attend anywhere. It was not just a matter of how many buses, it was just a matter of how many buses you wanted to take to get to the school. For Those who did not care, they usually just went to the closest high school to, in their neighborhood. For those who wanted to be recruited. Jay had a spot for them. As Jay started to build this team, there was no place he would not go for athletes. He knew this city was riddled with superstars. It was his goal to bring them all together. The best of the best, the smartest, strongest, most hard-hitting gladiators in the middle school leagues. At games, he would sometimes close his eyes and listen only for the hits. Only on those huge shoulder pack and helmet cracks would he open his eyes. He would look for the number on the field getting up from the pile, screaming to the gods for glory, number 42. Then Jay would make his way to the front of the fans, walk slowly looking for a three-inch button with the 42 to find the mama proudly clapping and cheering for her son. Jay would reach out his hand and say, Hello, my name is Coach Jay. I just wanted to say your son has definite college potential. Where's he going to school next year? Whatever high school their answer was, It was followed with more compliments, and then a short lead to the east side. Never once would Jay actually say where he was from. Jay would then politely excuse himself by wishing good luck to them. Then Jay would take a note on the athlete in his notebook and move on. If the student was a five-star, he would make sure to be back for the next three games. The louder the crack of the helmets, the more he wanted the kid. There were four leagues in the city developing talent at the tackle football level and two flag football leagues. Jay knew them all well. The flag football teams were the rec department and the local YMCA leagues. There is always enough speed to watch, but most of these kids do not actually know, actually get to hit, or even have to go to practice. They were more show up and play games for fun. If Jay picked up an athlete from one of these leagues, it would take Jay two years to teach that kid how to tackle properly, while his competition at the high school level had already been tackling properly five years before. The East Side team did not have that development time, so tackle leagues are where he would have to concentrate his time. The first tackle league was the West Side pro Ballers League it was the flashiest league, but had the least usable amount of talent. All teams were based on NFL teams, each team had nFL jerseys NFL designed helmets, but unfortunately, the league spent more on the NFL decals than they did on coaching development. More of the game centered around screaming, coaches screaming at each other. Coaches screaming at referees, referees screaming back at coaches, coaches screaming at players, players screaming at each other. Players standing around not knowing what to do when the ball was snapped, and the players not knowing who to hit except the player directly in front of him. No real offensive plays, more just hand the ball off to the fastest kid and see how far he gets. The team with the fastest player was usually the league champion. The second tackle league was the Boys and Girls Club League, played on the north side. The equipment was really not up to date, but the coaches had some buy into the programs. Typically, coaches were a club employee or a teacher at the local school. The coaches were there for the kids and always were in attendance at practice in the games, but not so much could be said for the players. When Jay would stop by to watch the practices, sometimes only half the team would be there. During game days, the winner of the contest was not necessarily the best team with the best athletes, but the team who had the most amount of players show up. Stamina would eventually wear down even the best athletes, and eventually the fastest two were out of breath, too out of breath to catch the well-rested. This league, however, produced athletes, strong, fast, and a sense of how the game was played. The fallback, though, was that the students' grades did not matter to playing time and academic eligibility. Often the badass players with immense football talent had just as badass academics and attendance at the schools they attended. No one cared, though. Most people were happy they were just off the streets and not causing trouble. Teachers and administrators did not even know they were football players, and because of that, never tried to stop them from playing because of poor academics. When they would be held accountable in high school, they would make the summer workouts. They would be stars their freshman year. But once they started failing classes in high school, they would be suspended the first four games of the next season. Most would drop out of summer workouts and quit before their sophomore year, destined to use their athletic talents only for street hustle basketball. League number three was the Southeast Region All-American Football League, a league with a reputation as big as the name and plenty of cash to develop the best branding. Each team in the S-R-A-A-F-L was hosted by a regional high school. The conferences, north and south, were spread across the surrounding suburbs, a couple rural farm teams with farm boys, and two city teams. The suburbs, all together with around half a million people, made up 18 teams. The city, with over 750,000 people had two teams. The suburb teams were well coached and equipment was well maintained. Nothing was over fancy about this league. Good players, good coaches, good referees, good fans, good concession stands. For eight weeks, teams would travel four times and have four home games. Each team a perfect predictor of future high school games to come. These feeder feeder teams were competitive objectively targeted and built not for the sake of the children, but for the sake of the programs they fed. The city team players typically had a dad who played football in high school and in college. The city team had only an average at best coaching, could win up to half their games in a season and hold their own for the most part versus any team in the league because of the talent and speed of the players. Suburb teams did not have the speed and typically not as aggressive. But because of the immense supports from their respective booster clubs, the top, t- top eight teams always came from the suburbs. Jay would go to a couple of these games a year, and he would get to know the players chatting with them in the stands at the high school football games, or by the concessions on a Saturday morning game. He respected them for their respective love of the game, and they respected him for his genuine attention of their skills on the field. Jay did not watch these city kids because he wanted them on his team. He knew they would never attend the city schools they were supposed to be feeding. These kids were playing in this league to be recruited into the suburbs. The 440 program allowed a community to allow a certain number of students from the city to attend their school in the suburbs. The selection was supposed to be random to fill the number that the school said they could accommodate for, and the suburb community would also get a slight property tax break. Random was hardly the case, though. Often, some were... Suburb schools would say they only had three spots in a grade eligible for the 440 program. But after June 5th, when the selection of schools process was over, a school could later file for an exemption, stating that in the best interest of the child could be submitted to the Department of Public Instruction. What person anywhere in the world would want to deny what is in the best interest of a child? No one. Who are the only people in the state who knew of this exemption clause? Parents in the city? Coaches in the suburb and the city? Yes. Administrators in the suburbs? Yes. Administrators in the city? Didn't care. Parents of players in the SRAAFL? Yes. In 23 years running of the 440 program, no exception was ever denied by the DPI. Jay was not recruiting these athletes in the SRAAFL. He was scouting them for when he would face them later in their careers. League number four was Jay's favorite. A local league on the south side, a mix of neighborhood teams and small private schools. Season after season, no team ever dominated. Cousins often played with each other, sometimes even better for friendly family competition, against each other. The league was well run by a group of old timers. Old timers that believed football was a game for boys to grow into men. Values, respect, and sportsmanship, and also importantly, fun were at the base of this league. If a parent was too rowdy, The old guys would approach in a group of four like a group of mafia retirees with more expressions than words would be able to handle the situation. The environment was safe. This was less an environment of watching gladiators, but more of an environment that was just around the entertainment of pride of the game. The communities around here could have just as easily been organized in these kids for soccer or lacrosse or field hockey, and the demeanor would have been just the same. It just so happened they liked football more. Jay liked this league because the parents cared about the kids' schools and the grades they achieved in the schools. So if a player from any of the teams in this league came to play play for his high school, there would be no issues with academic eligibility, attendance, or behavior problems. Most every Saturday morning, once the season got started, he would drive to the park in the middle of the Southside, quiet neighborhood, walk across the dew-soaked field to the little wooden concession stand that was also home to the scoreboard, the pylons, and the goalpost pads you would buy a sugar donut ring and a hot chocolate from the team mom and daughter who were taking the first concession shift. Find a spot in the top row of the small wooden bleachers and listen for any big hits to come.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Seasoned. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, so you never miss the next episode. And of course, we appreciate any shares to others who might like Season.